0: good morning, everybody. Welcome to Westridge. Tomorrow's spring. And I think it's going to feel like spring this week, so good news. You know, the Bible talks a lot, excuse me, the world talks a lot about the idea of leadership. And, you know, you see conferences, TED Talks, podcasts, uh, graduate programs, and thousands of books. But what you don't hear a lot about is followership. And just for example, like this week, I went on Amazon and I was looking in the books and I put leadership in there to see what kind of response I would get. And it was like over 60,000 books that they sell on leadership. When I put followership in, 343. So clearly followership's not nearly as sexy as leadership, and there's just not quite the market, I guess. So uh, when Jesus was teaching, and he did a lot of teaching, there was one particular uh, part of his teaching body that stood out, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it was called that because he was on a mountain when he was giving it. And This message, it was sort of a manifesto of sorts that describes what it's like to live a life when you choose to follow Jesus. And what you'll see is this this message doesn't have hardly anything in it that is instinctive or intuitive. As a matter of fact, I would say it's about as counterintuitive as you could ever get. Because Jesus said things like, if someone asks you for something, give it to them. If someone mocks you or persecutes you because you're a follower of mine, be happy about it. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Go the extra mile. Do for other people the very thing that you wish they would do for you. So, this message series that we're starting is called The Narrow Dirt Path, and we're going to talk about this life of following Jesus. But there's one thing that I want to point out, something significant about both the message that Jesus gave, Sermon on the Mount, and everything he says about following him, and it's this. Never, ever does Jesus pretend like the life of following him is easy. As a matter of fact, when he, when he sort of wraps up his message, he calls attention to the fact that if you choose the path of following Jesus, it's certainly going to be the more difficult one. Here's how Jesus says it from Matthew 7. As he's closing his sermon, he says, You can only enter the kingdom of God through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You might already know that there were four biographers, four writers who kind of tell the story of Jesus in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, their works are named after the authors. And each one of these writers tells the story of when Jesus calls his followers. And at some times, at some points, In the ministry of Jesus, there were hundreds or even thousands of people that followed him. But these writers start from the moment when Jesus handpicks just 12. And Matthew is one of the writers, and he tells the story of Jesus choosing these 12, handpicking these followers. And he says that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and as he's walking along, he sees that there are some men fishing, and he says to them, come and follow me. They put down their nets, and they come and follow Jesus. They walk on down the beach, and there are some other men, also fishermen, fishing with their father, and Jesus says to them, come follow me. And they also leave everything. They leave their nets, they leave their business, leave their father, and they come to start following Jesus. Now, if you read Matthew's story, if you're like me, you, I think you have to be wondering, were they really just that naive that they could hear three simple words from Jesus and leave everything about their life and their livelihood and come and follow him? Or is it possible there's more to the story? Well, that's where it gets really interesting. Thank you. That's where it gets interesting because Luke's version gives us some more details that help us to understand why it is that, that Peter and some of these other men would actually choose to follow Jesus. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter five, beginning in verse four. And as, as Luke tells the story, it begins much the same way. Jesus is walking along the beach, but he also stops to teach. And as he's teaching, there's a pretty large crowd of people that gathers around him, and they literally become such a large, large crowd that he's being backed into the water. And it just so happens that there's a boat behind him, and he gets into the boat and sits down so that he can teach the people without getting wet. Interesting detail from Luke is that that boat happens to belong to a man named Peter. So here's where we pick up the story in Luke, beginning in chapter 5, verse 4. It says, "'When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon,' which is another name for Peter, "'Now go out where it is deeper and let your nets, let down your nets to catch some fish.' "'Master,' Simon replied,' We worked hard all night, but didn't catch a thing. Now, I have to, I have to think that that's sort of nice fishermen speak for, hey, you're a rabbi, you're probably really good at theology, but we know the fishing stuff. But, he says, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, "O oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So there was more to the story, much more. And it helps make sense of Peter and the other's decision to actually follow Jesus. But for me, it still raises another question about Peter. And that was his response to Jesus and how he describes his relationship to Jesus in that moment. In general, when I hear people talk about their relationship with God, I kind of see people in one of two camps. There are some people who would say, I'm a good person. No, I'm not perfect by any means, but if you put my life in the balance, if God were going to look at my life with the good and bad, put it on the scale, good on one side, bad on the other, I have to believe that my scales would tip toward the good because I'm a good person, which, by the way, is a pretty dangerous place to be because that's essentially at the core of the denial that we talked about in the last message series, and that is being able to actually be willing to admit and to address the sin that's in our life, but there are other people And I would probably describe them like this. They are the people who feel like they can never be good enough. They would say, I'm just not the kind of person that can have an authentic relationship with God because with all the stuff in my past, and it is a lot, I just can't believe that it's not a lot worse than what's in other people's past. And I don't see how God, who is described as holy and calls us to be holy, could really see past what I've done. I just can't wrap my head around the idea that God really could forgive me and love me. Now, to be honest, as wrong as this kind of thinking is, at least it it begins with the admission that we all do have sin. And realizing that God accepts us and loves us unconditionally in spite of what we've done I think is far easier to overcome than the pride that says, "God's pretty okay with me because I'm a good person." So let me ask you, when you think about it, are, are you in one of those camps that would how would you describe yourself in a relationship to God? You can see which one Peter's in because it's very clear that he says, you know, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. You shouldn't even be around a guy like me. I'm not worthy to follow you. And of these two ways of thinking that I just described, it kind of raises two different questions. Because if you see yourself as the person who is a good person, I think your question, the, the question that bubbles up for you is, is Jesus worthy of me following? But if you're the person that feels like, oh man, I'm just never going to be good enough, then the question that probably bubbles up is, am I worthy to follow Jesus? So what's behind Peter's pretty dramatic response, falling to his knees, I'm sinful, you shouldn't be around me? I want to unwrap that a little bit because it's at the core of Jesus saying to us, to Peter and to us, come follow me. And to do that, I kind of want to pull back the curtain just a little bit on some of Jewish culture to see the significance of this moment for Peter. So Jewish culture had three levels in their educational system, which really probably isn't that much unlike ours in the sense that We normally think of kind of three big categories of an educational system. If you're filling out a job application, doing census, you know, data, whatever it is, usually you're going to be asked, do you have a high school diploma or a GED? Did you get a bachelor's at a college or university? And did you do postgraduate studies or get a postgraduate degree? And the Jewish system really isn't much different, maybe as far as timing and age, but essentially they also have a three-phase system for their education. And I want to look at it just for a minute because the first, the first level began for the, the anyone, all kids who were five years or older, and it was called Beth Sefer. And this was when you went to school and you were studying the writings and the books of Moses. And you would learn them, you would memorize them, and that's essentially what your study was. It was a religious training, and it was taught by the local rabbi. And after five years or so of being involved in that, if you were a better student, you were one of the best students, then you could move forward to what was called Bet Talmud. So maybe when you were about 10 years old, you would continue your studies if you were one of the better students And you would study not just the writings of Moses, but some of the other writings as well. And you would be in that for five years. Then you come to the third phase. The third phase is called Bet Midrash. And when you're about 15 years old, education changes completely if you're one of the people who continue on. So first of all, it's important to know that this also was scripture based, but it was completely different in that instead of only being focused on a specific curriculum, Bat Midrash was focused on following the rabbi. So it wasn't just morning and afternoon classes, uh, it was day in and day out traveling with and learning from the rabbi. And this was internalizing all of that learning that you'd had before so that you would see it lived out in the life of the rabbi and you would then learn what to do in any life situation. So, what is it? I mean, what's important about that specific part of Jewish culture? Well, it's this there were in that last level, the Bet Midrash, of course, because it got more and more difficult and more and more exclusive there were only a handful of people who would be in Bet Midrash. And to be in Bet Midrash meant that you had to apply, you had to ask permission of the rabbi to follow and to be one of the students. And I don't want you to miss that part of the story here with Peter, because this is significant that these fishermen clearly... They had not gone through all these different levels of school. They had probably gone through the first level and said, I think instead of continuing on, maybe I'm not a great student, maybe I just prefer to go into a trade, I'm going into my father's business of fishing. Jesus comes to these guys, and instead of pursuing a rabbi, asking permission to follow and be a part of his world, the rabbi actually is pursuing them. Unheard of. So Jesus comes to these guys, and even though they are just fishermen, they see in him, they see a, a more remarkable than, than just a rabbi who can knows more about fishing than fishermen, and more remarkable than just, just a rabbi who can somehow miraculously make fish appear to, enough to sink a boat. It's the fact that the rabbi came to them, unqualified, unworthy, and invited them to follow him. That's why I think Peter is so overwhelmed in this moment, that he is chosen by Jesus. And the really good news is, nothing has changed. That same Jesus that came to these unqualified, unworthy fishermen, is the same Jesus that comes to you and to me, and he says, come follow me. So the writer of this account, Luke, a pretty remarkable guy. He was actually a physician, and everything about his writing seemed to be focused on the passion for people to understand that God loves them. And he wants every single person, I think, to understand that God not just loves them, but is pursuing them. He's the only one of all the writers that includes three specific stories of Jesus in his writings. And they are very well-known stories and very important stories and probably stories you've heard of. It is the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And clearly you can tell from the title in each one of those stories, something is lost. But there's also someone who is pursuing what is lost. In that story, you will see that God is in each one of those stories. God is the woman who is looking for the coin, pursuing it at all costs. God is the shepherd who's looking for the sheep. God is the father who is finding his son. And the reason that I love it that Luke included those stories is because Luke was a true outsider. Of all the the books that were written in the New Testament, they were all written by Jewish people, except one, Luke. And Luke, the non-Jewish guy, focuses his message on anyone who feels like an outsider, and he makes sure that every single person Every single person knows that Jesus says to you, I want you to come and follow me. Along the way, in Peter's journey, there were times that he was much better at following than others. I think he definitely understood that when Jesus called him, he had called him to a narrow dirt path. Nothing easy about it. And there's one point that his fellow disciple, Matthew, describes Peter's following of Jesus. And he says that Peter was following at a distance. I don't know if that resonates with you, but sometimes that's kind of the way I feel in my journey. And maybe you feel in yours like I'm still there. I'm still in, but I don't really feel close. I don't feel the strong connection that I've had in the past. And at the very end, Jesus is about to be tried and executed, and Peter's followership is really tested. At at Jesus' arrest, Peter becomes very disillusioned and fearful. And at the court scene, when Jesus is on trial, Peter is at a distance, but he can see him, and he can see what's happening. And in that moment, people came to Peter, and they began asking him, what's your connection with this guy, Jesus, who's on trial? And Peter says, I I have no connection with him. As a matter of fact, I don't even know who this guy is. So three times Peter has denied even knowing who Jesus is. Jesus was crucified the next day. Three days after that, he was resurrected. And in the meantime, after Jesus had died and was resurrected, some of these disciples, including Peter, decided it was time for them to go back to some fishing. And this is where there's an interesting parallel between the first encounter with Jesus and Peter and the last encounter with Jesus and Peter. In the first encounter, it's at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and Peter have a, a very heartfelt conversation. There's a miraculous fish moment. And in that moment, Jesus calls Peter, and says, follow me. Now, when we come to this last moment, after Jesus has, has already resurrected and he's, he's seen the disciples, but this is a different moment. Jesus and Peter are once again at the Sea of Galilee, it's sort of this poetic sort of way that this all comes about. At the Sea of Galilee, there is a miraculous fish moment. There's a heartfelt conversation between Jesus and Peter. And once again, Jesus says, follow me. So here's how it, here's how it plays out. If you look in John chapter 21, It describes that after a night of fishing, they hadn't had much luck, but they hear someone who's on the shore calling to them, and this voice says, have you caught any fish? And again, he's too far away. They don't know who it is, and they say, no, we we haven't caught any fish. And he says, put your net over on the other side of the boat, and you're, you're going to catch fish. They did. And they caught so many fish that the boat could barely contain the weight of their catch. And of course, we know now from reading John 21, and Peter found out very soon, that man standing on the shore was Jesus. They come ashore, and Jesus and Peter have a very healing conversation. Heartfelt. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says yes. It's almost as if Jesus is taking each one of those denials and he's undoing them one by one. As they close their conversation, Jesus ends with the words, follow me. The very first words that Jesus said to Peter back by the Sea of Galilee, follow me. The last words that Jesus says to Peter, follow me. I think the truth is that it's important for us to understand that following Jesus is is not something that happens in a moment of time. It's not just simply one decision. It's a life that we choose and knowing that as we walk this narrow dirt path, there are going to be times when we will lose our way. But the truth is Jesus never stops pursuing us. And for Jesus, followership means i'm never going to stop pursuing you and for us followership means i'm going to choose you over and over and over again no matter how many times i have to no matter how difficult this narrow dirt path becomes i will continue to choose to follow you the truth is some of us may have feel like we've missed that call maybe it came and we were we were We were blind to it, or we were too busy for it. Or maybe we just couldn't actually believe that the invitation was really for us because couldn't believe that God wanted us to come and follow him, but Jesus never stops pursuing. There are others of us that we did grasp and hold on to that invite, and we said yes, but maybe we had a false start. We chose to be a follower, but somewhere along the way, we sort of got lost or distracted, and we never really did click unfollow, but we've certainly drifted far from where we were when that relationship first started. And I think the truth is, and this is what's important for us to know, is no matter where we are on that journey, no matter what our history has been with answering or not answering that call, the simple truth is this, that Jesus is still saying to each and every one of us, I want you to come follow me.